and opinions expressed on the Hard Time Podcast are of the hosts and guests individually. The Hard Time Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Human beings have thoughts and feelings that do not necessarily affect the professional performance of their duties. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. An inmate attacked a correctional officer in St. Louis County this week after he refused to go back to his cell. This is what we have to deal with, inmates like that. Everybody has an opinion to know about what goes on and stuff in here, but not times out of ten, if anybody that has anything negative to say about a correctional officer, he never even been in the facility, never been inside of the jail. They have 24-7 to sit there and come up ways to outsmart so they always want to try, but we've got to be proactive. Still remain professional and, and do a job. Officers being praised for their quick actions. Lake County Sheriff uh, says, quote, they are heroes in my books. Regular day at the office. I'm John. I'm a former correctional officer. I was a correctional officer for six and a half years. Started off as a uh, probationary correctional officer put in my time to become a CO. I became a senior correctional officer. Then I skipped the rank of corporal to become a full-blown sergeant. I pissed off every corporal in that prison because I just went straight past them. Uh, joining me as always, audio only, is Jake Motherfucker Welder, who is a current correctional officer sergeant at a jail somewhere in the American Southwest. He joins us by audio only because he has to protect his identity. Used to just be a scam to Pull one over on the ATF, but now it's a way of life for him. Jake, how are you doing, old friend? I'm I'm doing well. I'm just an enigma shrouded in mystery, just marching on towards uh, the entropy that will get us all. So, yeah, so I can't that... can't wait for the heat death of the universe when the last proton decays <laughs> and there's no energy left, and all the all that we have left is the shrieking silence of the end of everything. Anyway, you can tell that I'm a bit depressed. It's that time of year where my depression uh, masquerades as seasonal affect disorder. It uh, might be full-blown depression. Um, I also want to put out a message. Uh, as you guys may know, if you've heard an episode of Hard Time, which you probably have as a Patreon subscriber, Jake is a man of mystery, but also of memes. And uh, we're going to have another meme lord come on here onto the show in just a second. But I've been seeing a lot of memes lately that have been pissing me off. And the memes are all about how um, basically daylight savings is the cause of so much heartache and sadness and misery. And uh, it's in contrast to summertime, daylight savings is, is a bad thing. I need to educate you. It's my duty to educate you. And it's my pleasure to inform you and my duty to warn you. We are not on daylight savings time. Daylight savings time occurs in the summertime. I actually, to the point... I argued this at work with a patrol sergeant of mine. He, First of all, he claimed we were not leaving daylight savings time. He said, we're not going to set our clocks back uh, this fall. He said that the president had canceled that as though, it was, as, though the, as though time was in the domain of the president, and um, which I think it was created by Lincoln or something to begin with. But uh, I told him, I said, we are on standard time in the winter. This is real time. Like the summer is fun. The summer is more fun because we use daylight savings time in the summer. This is just what real life is like. Real life is this depressing. Real life is this bad. 
And like, he didn't believe me. And he and I are on the, on the crisis negotiations team. And so we're a tight knit group where rank doesn't matter. And we all have to really trust each other to make good decisions. And this guy thinks I'm lying about daylight savings time being over. He thinks that we're beginning daylight savings time. And uh, about, he thinks that Congress or the president or whatever canceled. I know there's been talk in the past about canceling uh, daylight savings time in general, but I'm just like, that's just going to make summer way less fun. Like the best part of summer is like you can be out with your friends till 10 p.m. and the sun's up and you can go out and have a beer and sit on the patio of a bar or something and you still have daytime to enjoy because you saved that daylight for yourself. So if you think that you're not enjoying daylight savings this uh, this autumn, this November, you are wrong. You are not enjoying standard time. Uh, I just have to clear the record. And uh, this is the only platform I have for such things. I wanted to bring it up on Comm Center, but um, we were really busy on Comm Center. I don't know if you caught that episode, Jake. Uh, the celebrity uh, Jeopardy episode that we had. Yes, I was. I, I was watching from my dark, uh, dark recesses of my man cave. I was watching. Uh, I have a couple sick children at home, so I wasn't able to participate. But I did see that uh, com center. It was good to see people g- guessing celebrity nine one one calls. Honestly, it was a little uh, shocking to me that you didn't call in at any point. Is there a reason why you didn't call in? Uh, yeah, that's just multiple children that weren't weren't feeling well. They still aren't feeling well, and that's why we're recording early because they're still asleep. Oh well, you tell them to stop eating tissues out of the trash can. Uh, but I appreciate <laughs> appreciate you taking the time away from your family to hang out with me. Uh, speaking of memes. I wanted to add one more to the stream. It's not just going to be me and Jake today for the special. Uh, your stop part time episode, which is also being live streamed on Facebook to an audience of four at this moment. We're adding to the show live Kendra Drama. She is the star and host of Failure to Stop True Crime, which airs on Tuesday and somewhat erroneously referred to as True Crime Tuesday. I believe the show is just called True Crime. Uh, Kendra, what is the name of the show? Did you ever figure that out? I think it's True Crime on Tuesday at oh. night. <laughs> Tuesday. There's a preposition. <laughs> it can be even longer to say because it's true crime on Tuesday. <laughs> uh, Jake, is that a show you've ever seen before? Do you? Uh, I don't know how much failure to stop you actually watch. Yes, I, I watch uh, True Crime Tuesday live as often as I can, as as my schedule allows, because it's during my work week. So sometimes I have to watch the replay, but. Or a pause and then catch up later, depending on if if somebody needs a tray or they have a visitor or a piece of mail or throwing a fit about the temperature of their food or something. Hmm. That sounds like it uh, could be happening at home or at prison. Uh, <laughs> very just, similar that way. I know what kind of dad you are, and uh, you've probably told your kids to lock up or you're going to put them on loss of rack or loss of birthday or something. Um mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who have been in the corrections environment who have been that way. We all have something in common. And that's at uh, one point, all of us uh, have been in a courthouse. Uh, For me and Kendra, it was when we got painfully divorced. Uh, Jake has told a story on the show before of him, uh, an inmate attempting a getaway. And he, uh, why don't you just tell that story briefly? Just because (laughs) I don't think Kendra ever heard it. And and if you could just take out all the prepositions so it goes faster, Jake. (laughs) <laughs> I will do my best. Uh, well, I was taking an individual to court and they were talking about a long uh, jail term for him, basically, to actually go to like a prison term. 
the sentencing and uh that's what caused him to get upset um dealt with this person for a while and never had any issues and we didn't have any major issues since but he uh we were in the little uh vestibule trying to put his restraints back on to take him out and uh return him to um detention and he took off running down the hallway so i just dropped the clipboard ran after him i didn't have i left the shackles there and uh i was shouting so the deputy that was working in the front could hear hear that we were coming and uh, previously they had had an escape attempt where the de that deputy had somebody had gotten through the main doors and he had to tackle him um so he ran over to the doors to try to kind of cut off his escape method there and i actually did like a open field tackle out in the middle of the big hallway um and uh luckily it wasn't a very busy court day we were in the far courtrooms so had enough time to catch up to him and the deputy once he realized i had him down he was kind of shocked and he jumped on both of us and he actually broke off the top half of my motorola radio um <laughs> he hit me so hard um and was uttering some choice words as we always do and we cuffed him up and the person at the front desk uh called for assistance in probably the most calm way i've ever heard on the radio someone call out an escape attempt and we brought him back and then he broke a sprinkler just to double down on it and a different deputy was really pissed off like holding him on the shoulder as booking area filled up with water um it was quite a quite an interesting double shift that's how i started it was towards the end of the day taking him to court and then um stopping that escape attempt i had the record for the shortest escape attempt of just about probably 50 60 feet um, nice. <laughs> but uh it was it was taken over by uh somebody else more recently that's a that's a shame hopefully you will have a, a brutal and, and short escape Actually, what we all have in common is that we've all escorted inmates to the courthouse. <laughs> I'm currently still an inmate transporter. I do that like current my current pace is like once per year because they just never need me for anything or they forgot that I work for them. We recently got a new sheriff and I don't know that he knows that I'm on his payroll. Uh, <laughs> so I might have to go like introduce myself to him at some point and let him know like, hey, just, so you know, I'm someone that works for you. Uh it's a very small department and uh, we don't have a jail here. So we're normally we're transporting people in and out of the county to take them to jail. Jake takes people to court. Uh, my probably I take I took people to court sometimes, mostly when I worked at the state penitentiary. People were usually post adjudication, meaning the court stuff for them was over most of the time. If someone had new charges, they would need to go to court or uh, probably the most interesting court uh, case I ever had to take someone to. We had someone sitting on death row. And we had to take them uh, to federal court uh, for their because there was a, a change in appeal status. It's very interesting to take someone on death row to court. Everybody's wearing bulletproof vests. Everyone's got guns, which is probably normal for the two of you. We even had someone behind the vehicle in a chase car, so that if it goes down like the movie SWAT, you know, where someone someone tries to bust the guy out, there's a there's a secret car behind with guys full of guns that can jump out and kill the bad guy. It's kind of cool. Uh, this was a guy who was very old. He'd been on death row for a very long time. He killed a little girl back in the 70s, and the method of her death was uh, especially egregious. It was one of those things that had aggravating factors in it that would warrant the death penalty. Death penalty. In this state, we do execute people. Uh, we executed 
I believe three people while I was employed there. So we only had, I believe, well, we, we added to the number of people on death row while I was there. We started with three, we went up to five. And then when I left, we were back down to three. So we executed two. In the years since I've left, we have executed two people. So as far as I know, there's only one guy left on death row. I'd have to, I'd have to double check that. Um, I could be wrong. And I say that uh, for the sake of not revealing what state I'm in, because it's easy to find out how many, which states only have one guy on death row. <laughs> So it's possible there's 35 guys on death row. Uh, just throwing that out there. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, I don't keep track. Uh, but anyway, so we were taking him to court. And uh, this was the damnedest thing because, and I've mentioned this story before, but I don't think I've told it in any detail. But we're, we're escorting him to court. And he wants to change the status of his appeal. He's appealing his death sentence, obviously. And he's forestall he's been forestalling his uh, lethal injection for 20 years. And this guy has absolutely had it being in prison. And so he wants to he wants to end his appeals and accept his sentence. He wants to die. And so his lawyer go, is representing his interests, is going in front of in front of the court and uh, saying, you know, um, you know, he wants to end his appeals. We want you know, he wants to go forward with this. And the state and the the attorney general's there for the, the state. He's in the room. And he's just like, good, good, you know, because he gets to have a have an execution uh, on his watch <laughs> in this uh, very conservative state. And yeah, I'm just thinking about it, I'm like, man, you weren't even the attorney general when this happened. Like you weren't you were probably still in law school when this happened, probably even before that. And it was just so interesting because. This inmate wanted to die, so he's just like, now nah, I'm throwing in the towel, I'm giving up, it's done for, let's get on with it. And the lawyer's like, it was so confusing because the defendant, the state's attorney were on the same side, but like his lawyer was like, but I don't, I don't think we should do this. Like we should probably, cause he didn't know how to, he didn't know how to best represent his client because like his, the interest of the client is keeping him alive. That's what he's been doing this entire time. And now, you know, if he's actually representing his client's wishes, it's just to get on with the death penalty. So he's sitting there and watching this case play out where the dynamic is completely inverted it was uh, just something that was interesting for me. Kendra, you also did a brief stint at the old courthouse. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot here. Any interesting or cool stories? Do you ever have to slap a bitch or do anything cool or slide <laughs> slide under a, a crash gate that was coming down very slowly or anything? Do you have anything that's cool? The reason I ask is because we're going to cover a courthouse escape. So my role was uh i did prisoner transport and courtroom security so i'd bailiffed a couple of trials um but i worked for a sheriff's office so i was a law enforcement officer i wasn't corrections um so our extent of like inmate interaction was just like go to the jail pick him up put him in the holding cell take him into the courtroom and then back to the jail essentially uh so the only things that we really ran into were uh like them getting into fights in the holding cell. You have to go in and break up fights between the inmates or in the courtroom, you know, they act up and you have to, especially during like a trial because they're not secured. They're just in like business attire. So um, nothing That's that really stands out too much. Just, yeah, just like the typical, uh, the fights between the inmates and in, in the actual like holding cells. You just go in there and grab them by the belt and put them in their corners and put them in timeout until they calm down type thing. Here, here's something that's interesting, and I'm actually curious about it. Here's like a dimension of knowledge that I'm actually deficient on. I've mentioned before on the show, generally speaking, that I was in jury selection earlier this year for a homicide trial. 
the bailiff's job seemed mostly like to herd us around, like tell us where to go. We had a meeting room we started in, then we had to go to the courtroom. And he, he was all like, you know, don't have your cell phones on. Don't do this. Don't do this. You know, sit in this exact spot. They call on you. Make sure you stand up and say your name and answer the question and all this. It seemed like the bailiff's job was mostly to deal with us jurors. What is the job of a bailiff? I know that we've seen what's his face on Judge Judy, but he's not a real bailiff. So <laughs> what is his job? I don't know what his job is, but didn't he murder his wife? That guy? The ba- Wait, the bailiff on Judge Judy murdered his wife? A bailiff on some judge show murdered his wife. Yeah. Okay, I'm Googling this right now while you tell um, the story. <laughs> the bailiff is, his his job is to basically um, protect the judge and, and make sure that there's, a, whatever the judge wants to happen in the courtroom, the bailiff essentially carries it out. That's his job. And then, you know, part of the job is the um, the jury. So the way we did it was you have your the bailiff and then you have courtroom security. And security is usually uh, crowd control and inmate control. That's it. You just make sure nobody, nothing crazy happens. And then the bailiff, like, if, if shit hits the fan, the bailiff is in charge of making sure the judge is safe, pretty much. That's what. Okay, that's so what he's kind of a sar- sergeant at arms for the proceedings. I get that. Ex-TV mm-hmm. court bailiff accused of killing wife appears in court. Houston, a former television courtroom bailiff who is accused of killing his wife, appeared in court Friday. Renard Spivey, which is like the most bailiff name ever. I don't know why it is, <laughs> but it's like when your son's name is Renard Spivey, he's going to grow up to be a bailiff. Like you've heard of stripper names. This is a bailiff <laughs> name for sure. 63 is charged in the murder. Uh, in connection with Sunday's slaying of his 52-year-old wife, Patricia Ann Marshall Spivey. Bernard Spivey, who was released from jail on Wednesday on $50,000 bond. Because I was like, I read it like it was a prize. Lipped up to the judge's bench during Friday's hearing. Investigators say he claimed he was shot in the leg during a tussle with his wife, during which she was accidentally shot. Her body was found in the couple's closet, investigators say. Okay. The judge ordered, ordered Spivey to surrender his passport. Stay in Texas which is not hard to do. Texas is so damn big, it's actually hard to leave. And observe a 3 p.m. to 9 a.m. curfew. So, holy shit, he cannot leave the house after 3 p.m.? <laughs> like, you can leave after 9? Like, I would miss most of the day because I don't wake up till noon. So it's like I would I would have three hours in which I was allowed to leave the house. Of course, I live in a small town, so I wouldn't even be able to go anywhere because I can't go anywhere and be back in time. So this would... Be, be very akin to being in jail for me. He was also ordered to stay away from the victim's family. Probably a good idea. Meaning he will not be able to attend his wife's funeral unless her family permits it. If your wife died and you would try to plan a funeral and you're not mad at her or her family, but they're mad at you in the long run, if you didn't go to the funeral or your your own wife's funeral, it's awful, said defense attorney Mike DeGuren. Friends of the victim said she believed Bernard Spivey was either on steroids or having an affair. Bernard Spivey, who became a deputy for the Harris County Sheriff's Office in 1998, served as the bailiff on the television courtroom show Christina's Court in 2008. I guess he didn't learn anything from Christina in all those years. That was a very cool <laughs> factoid. Thank you for bringing that to that to my attention. You're like a little mini, like a little mini case we just did, Jake. What was he? Was he also uh, directed that he needs to watch reruns of himself? <laughs> during that time period is that oh i know that's what's gonna suck conditions he's, of release he's gonna be in jail and in the day room chris, chris 2008 reruns from christina's court are gonna be on him it's gonna it's gonna activate all kinds of 
reverse PTSD or something. I don't know what I don't know what condition that is when you're when you're seeing yourself in the past as a bailiff and I don't know. Very I weird. wanna know I wanna know what the uh circumstances or the charging affidavit looked like to where he first of all had a fifty thousand dollar bond on a murder charge and then also well maybe it wasn't a murder charge. I don't know. I, I'm curious because that's especially as domestic maybe it, violence. Maybe maybe it was manslaughter or something or yeah. I don't know. How do you spell affidavit? A-F-F-I-D-A-V-I-T. No. <clears throat> correct. <laughs> I know. I do that all the time. The spelling bee is over, okay? He, he was probably charged with accidental discharge, which often happens in a marriage. So, Folks, this is just a taste of the humor that you can enjoy on Better Stop Hard Time exclusive <laughs> Patreon content. What well, is uh, called Hard Jake Time? Is, what do you expect? Is, yes. Well, uh, you know what's a miracle is that we don't have more dick jokes on our show. Uh, <laughs> we actually have very few, and I, I'm not sure why that is. Uh, Kendra, you mentioned something kind of important. Uh, you said that the, the person, the defendant, the person on trial, that they uh, weren't wearing jail clothes. Yeah. Right. Correct. Go on. Um, what do you want to know about it? <laughs> okay. Well, uh, that's that's a, mat a matter of fact that we're going to break down in today's case. Uh, Jake, why don't you talk about the case and then I'll play a video. Uh, uh, Kendra, was, was he able to tie his own tie or was it a clip-on? Do you know? Oh, they do clip-ons. They do clip-ons? Okay. Yeah. Usually, yeah, yeah the clip-on would probably be better for uh, safety, but I don't know how many uh, ties I've had to tie for inmates because their fathers aren't there to teach them i don't know it seems seems <laughs> seems like a, a a cruel joke but yeah that's... <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> John. Uh, that's uh yeah, I can just imagine if it was down to me, because I can only tie a tie like looking down in front of me, mm -hmm. trying to figure it out for them. I just know I would wind it up with it all like wonky, where like the wide part is the short part, and, and I would just be like, "What do you care?" You know, <laughs> like <laughs> just, <laughs> just go sit down at your table. Well, see, I would always make it worse. Like I would, this is, this is, this is awful. I mean, when their life circumstance and choices have brought them to a point where I'm like, they're basically their de facto stepdad. Um, <laughs> and help them do the time. Like, uh, do you want a single Windsor, a double Windsor, or mm. what, what type of knot would you like? And it yeah, doesn't help that you double no down on idea. the stepdad thing by telling them that you're having relations with their mom while they're in jail. <laughs> right. Well, that then that's always the joke. Like, how fucked up would that be? You know, you get out of jail and then you see me every day in jail and then you come home and I'm sitting there at your kitchen table in your boxers, in my boxers, eating your cereal. Thank and, you for uh, saying cereal. Cereal and uh, talking about your mother or vice versa. Um <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for showing that in. Uh, oh, gross! So gross. <laughs> but I, I, uh, I allow that, and I, I summon those things, and I'm sorry for that. Look at that. We lost a viewer because of that. We're down to two now. Um, <laughs> you cut our audience in half with that 
joke, Jake. Uh, so interestingly, uh, this is a, a main part of our case. I have taken people to court before, and if the jury is not present, they generally stay uh, in shackles and in jail clothes. The last time I took someone to jail, it was a bit of a story. I told it on a recent episode of Hard Time, but it drove me nuts because he was allowed to have his handcuffs off so that he could assist in his defense, you know, writing documents and things like this. And I, uh, as someone who's a correctional officer and transports people, I really don't like taking restraints off of people until we we're back inside the facility. So I would hate doing this. Uh, but we're going to go to a case uh, out of uh, Washington County, Oregon. We're going to play a brief video in which they will describe the uh, the terrors of a local woman, which is somehow most of the video, and then also briefly describe why she was terrorized. So we'll go to that now. I'm Pete Perryman. And I'm Rielle Creighton. It was an escape that put downtown Hillsborough on edge. Law enforcement fanned out across the city's core looking for an accused murderer who escaped custody at the Washington County Courthouse. Fox News Connor McCarthy has been following this story all day and joins us live in Hillsborough at an apartment complex where the search came to an end. Connor? Well, hey there, guys. Yeah, that, that accused murderer, Eddie Villalobos, was found here. This apartment complex right here behind me. Now, I spoke to the people that live in the unit where he was found, and they say they weren't home at the time. But for two hours, people here in downtown Hillsborough were wondering where Villalobos was at. An accused killer on the run through downtown Hillsborough. My heart is beating. <laughs> That's scary. Suzanne Siller <laughs> lives in the apartment complex where a tip led law enforcement to Eddie Villalobos location. She says she saw police officers swarm her building, but had no idea Villalobos was hiding in an apartment two doors down. All she saw was a strange man lurking around her back patio a short time before. And I go, what's going on? My, my doors are over, they're broken. And that's how, ugh. But now to find out, that's even more scarier. To find out, <laughs> I live right here. To find out that he was in there, that's scary. That's scary. This is the moment Villalobos was taken into custody after a two-hour search. The Washington County Sheriff's Office says he was hiding in a hallway and he was arrested without incident. It is scary not knowing that he was that close. Villalobos was accused of stabbing a Cornelius man to death in April of 2021 and another man in Clackamas County. A spokesperson for the Sheriff's Office says he escaped Monday after leg restraints and handcuffs were removed for his jury selection. This is required for all defendants on trial under Oregon law. Villalobos allegedly ran through the courtroom on the first floor and out the door of the courthouse. But would you guys call this a failure on your guys' part to keep this man in the courtroom? I wouldn't <laughs> call it a failure. What I would call it is we need to reassess how we do things. Um, what, what took place here um, in evaluating the actual circumstances in this, in this incident alone, uh, it could change things. We're always looking to do better. For Suzanne, she's grateful law enforcement were able to find Villalobos without anyone getting injured. Thank God they caught him. Well, coming back out live again one more time, the sheriff's office also says that Villalobos is not only facing murder charges, but he is now facing um, escape in the second degree and also burglary charges for breaking into this apartment right here behind me. And the sheriff's office also says that his initial trial is now on pause. Reported live in Hillsborough, Connor McCarthy, Fox 12, Oregon. Okay, let's just break down the news portion of it. First of all, Connor McCarthy is very relaxed. He's 
wearing a cardigan and calling the anchors guys. I don't think he's material to ever become anchor. What do you guys think? Although he does have the hair for it. Uh, well, hey there, guys. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And, and uh, poor Jake has no hair at all. His body is completely shorn thanks to both manscaping and uh, alopecia. And uh, being struck by lightning in episode five, so he has he has no hair anywhere on his body. Uh, how do you hide in a hallway? And uh, Kendra, <laughs> what did you think? Of, Kendra, what did you think of that that really excellent perp walk where the guy was holding up the shield for no reason? What did you think about that? That was um, very effective and helpful. I'm sure that guy was helping a lot. You don't know. Someone could have been sniping it, you know, trying to snipe him from another well, apartment. He's not, they're not doing a good job to protect the area from snipers. <laughs> if it's one guy holding, he's protecting himself. That's it. Yeah. He's a very important guy. He's got to protect I'm gonna, himself. I'm going to be honest with you. I know this about cops. I've seen this more than once. Uh, cops like to show off for the news. They absolutely do. We had a deputy. We had a shooting at a, at a, a, at a local school. No one was hurt except the principal who was shot in the arm. He's fine. Uh, but uh, we had a deputy who was, uh, they evacuated school, ended school for the day because a gun going off, you know, no one's going to learn anything anyway. The buses are leaving the school. He's out there. He's got like a Vietnam era U.S. Army machine gun at high ready, holding it up like this as the buses go by. And it's just like, are you threatening the kids? What are you doing? <laughs> it's like when the buses come back, he's like, I'm going to be ready for you next time. And he, you know, he's got this huge machine gun. Actually, uh, I took a, a screenshot of that. And uh, I made it into a meme, and I put like, "Tell the kids I'm coming, and hell's coming with me." You know that line <laughs> from Tombstone. And I did it to make fun of him, and I sent it to this uh, detective because I, I wanted to make the detective laugh. And I and I'm just like, you know, be discreet. And of course, the entire department saw it. He sent it to everybody. I'm seeing it on like taped on doors, and it's like, <laughs> and the the guy who held the gun up for the kids, he loved it. He didn't get that I was making fun of him. And he like made it his like desktop wallpaper on his computer, and it was like, "Do you not get that I was mocking you?" Like, oh but he God. he he loved it. He he loved the picture of him with the machine gun in front of the school bus. Because it became kind of his thing. Holding and, it and incorrectly. That, yes, holding it incorrectly, and the shooting had been over for like four hours. Like they apprehend <laughs> they apprehended the suspect, and they just to send everyone home for the day. And he's out there with a gun, holding it up. Uh, uh, kind of like this, pointing at the sky. Is, uh, I'll send it to you so you can see it. Well, in in his defense, John, he was probably ready to provide suppressive fire so that they could move. <laughs> that would be that would be my guess. He has a machine gun with the thing that goes up, and uh, yeah, I like that. See, and, uh, br- br- there's a school shooter, so you're like down suppressive fire. Yeah, obviously. So <laughs> it sounds children, like children can escape. Yeah. So, yeah, so, yes, <laughs> the, the children, a child is the shooter, and the children are escaping. Suppress the fire. Clearly, and, the answer. And secondly, John, um, as a f- fan of Spider Man, I'm surprised you don't know how to hide in a hallway. Clearly, you place yourself between the two walls up near the ceiling. Yeah. And, well, I and was, that's, that's how you hide in a hallway. I never had the upper body strength. And also, I'm too big to hide almost anywhere. Uh, <laughs> too, too big to hide in a suitcase. I'm too big to hide in a hallway wouldn't work for me um any last thoughts on that uh that news broadcast oh 
the lady. The lady. Said, it was very, the very, it was very, even more scarier to think he was right behind me. I live right here, which she points out exactly where she lived. <laughs> and then they show the apartment complex, and I'm just like, you know, somebody like me who's a bit of a scamp, you know, it's going to go and lightly, lightly terrorize her. I'm back. I broke out of prison. I'm back. <laughs> First, you're gonna have to draw like a tattoo on your cheek with like yeah. A, a yeah a sharpie or something. Uh, both of you have tattoos. I don't have one. What do you guys think of face tattoos? I always thought like I appreciated them because it's like I could tell you're a scumbag from far away. I don't have to even know you. What do you guys think about face tattoos? I haven't graduated to face tattoos. I don't have the juice quite yet um, to uh, to get a face tattoo. I do have many many tattoos. I don't have a failure to stop tattoo yet. So, or maybe I'll just get your name tattooed. I don't know, John. We'll see. Well, that or that that drawing that I did for the show early on. You should get one of those at a prominent place. Right on your face would be good. You know, if you have a face on your face. I should just get a question mark tattooed on my face and just make myself a silhouette. You should, yeah, tattoo all of it except a white area that's a question mark. And actually, it should say Jake on this side and then question mark over here. Jake? So, it's, so it kind of goes up at the end. Jake? Kendra, what do you think about face tattoos? Um, I would never personally get one, I don't think. Uh, I have a friend of mine who has a couple, quite a few t face tattoos. Can't even say that. Um, and he's a great guy. But, I mean, that's a commitment. Is he a, little, is he a little bit different? He's a little different, yeah. He's got a, a word plastered on his forehead and a sword so over here. Something else. How long have you known Post Malone? <laughs> As my yeah, secret she, friend. <laughs> she, she had a low-key name drop there, and not the brother mm. of Thor. Uh, <laughs> I hate but, that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard you say I hate that so many times. So. <laughs> Throughout our Just do marriage. so many things I hate. <laughs> I hate that. I really hate that. You said that to me in a message the other day. I said I sent you something, and you're like, "I hate this." You were just you were very serious about it. You called me stirred. <laughs> For okay. We were talking about we were talking about how sturdy Kedra is because uh, she uh, she's a power lifter, right? So she does squats and stuff, and she's about five foot one, but really, uh, and I would never embarrass her with this or or make her proud with this either i wouldn't do either one but she told me her weight and it's just like my god you're you're full muscle based on your your height and weight like you are you're a fire hydrant of a woman like i bet i could knock you over and we got into it about how like uh how i probably could not win you know i'm at a huge disadvantage my my center of gravity being like something like clearly in her jab area you know about how i would lose it <laughs> and the the end result was is we just we decided that she was very sturdy and I said I'm I'm always looking on the I'm on the lookout for new nicknames all the time I love nicknames I've never had a good one people just call me John uh, the coolest nickname I ever had and when I was a correctional officer was Bullet Trap Bates which I learned later was not that cool um, but uh, she was sturdy so I'm like I'm gonna call you Sturd <laughs> she said I hate that uh, well. While we're talking about the differences between uh, men and women and superheroes, do you know what the difference is between Iron Man and Iron Woman? Kendra? Yes. 
I actually do, but I don't want to ruin the joke, so you can go ahead and say it. One is a superhero, the other is a command. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, I'm that's not what I was going to say. Oh. <laughs> what were you going to say? What's your punchline, Kendra? It wasn't really a punchline. It was just the uh, periodical, the table, the element for iron is F-E. So Iron Man is actually female. Female. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, she's smart. <clears throat> right? She's she's taking our jokes to another level. I don't know if we can do this. I she's ruined them. Replace me. <laughs> you I ruined them. You're like putting out a chemistry class. Like, I appreciate that. I've I've like tried the- I've tried chemistry jokes to be fair, but I got no reaction. So I'm taking you out of the stream. <laughs> I, I would hate to kick you off of your own show, but holy <laughs> Jeez. Uh, oh my god. We are here to we are actually here to talk about that daring and exciting escape from custody. Uh well, Kendra, how, can would, you, how can you be afraid of someone when you don't know they're there? That's what that was the other comment she made. She's like, I didn't even know he was there, and it was so scary. I'm like, Yeah, you can tell she's full <laughs> of shit. I, I think I think finding out made her retroactively scared. But if she didn't know he, he was there, then like, no, you were having a good day, and then and then the cop showed up and saved you from a situation in which you weren't even in danger. I guess maybe maybe she was in danger. I assume someone on the run is uh, fairly dangerous. Um, but Kendra, would you call that a uh, a a failure? This guy running out. I presume there, there's bailiffs or deputies or correctional officers or somebody's in the court. This They take a break from the trial, and he's just like, well, this isn't going well. So he gets the hell out of there. <laughs> I have to question how they had their um, how they had their courtroom set up, set up and how their courthouse is set up as well, because there are varying, like, even just in the county that I worked in, we had three different um, criminal courts. Um the one that I worked in was strictly a felony court. So we did all like the higher profile cases and we had our shit locked down pretty well. But the misdemeanor court, um, it was an older building and it wasn't ever meant to be used uh, the way that they used it. And some of their um, safety and like security measures were not good. And I often wonder how they never had an escape um, so I just would question, I mean, if the, if the law and the policies are, they aren't to be secured, um, during a jury trial and they're just following those laws and policies, then it's a, it's a, a security issue on their end. So I don't know, I would, I wouldn't be quick to call it a failure. I just want to know how they had their, their room, their courtroom set up. I think the guy did a great job. I'll tell you at the courthouse that's in my jurisdiction where I had to spend a lot of time when I was in jury selection, they basically have built it in stages over the years, meaning at one point they had a small courthouse and then they added on to it and then they added on to that and then they put a story on those buildings and then they added on to that. Uh, so you can't go anywhere and get anywhere in a logical fashion. In fact, once I was escorting an inmate through the county jail as a state correctional officer, I was trying to bring him somewhere. I got fucking lost. Like we went straight forward, turn right, straight, right, straight. And then we got to a locked door. And I'm like, why? First of all, why are there all these bends in the hallway? And then it just goes nowhere. And so then I hit this button for master control. I'm like, and then I just look up at the camera. I'm like, could, could you send somewhere to come get me? Because I don't know how the hell, where the hell I'm going. So like I couldn't even get through the county jail. <laughs> just even even when I was there at official status, but I couldn't get I couldn't also when I was there for juries, jury selection, I couldn't get anywhere either because you got that door and you have no idea where the hell it goes. And then all of a sudden you're in this random hallway. 
And then you see a window to see the outside and you get your orientation of where you must be in the building. And it's completely wrong from what you thought. So you get all woozy and you throw up right on the carpet. And now you're running away because you're embarrassed. And they're like, get back here. You need to talk to the judge because, you know, obviously of everything that happened earlier that day. And then, you know, I just don't get how like you decide you're going to run away and like you somehow get out of there. And uh, they, there's plenty of videos online of this guy making a break for it out of the courthouse, which is daring. But, of course, there's no audio on these camera recordings from the courthouse. It just shows him making a break for it. So what caused this? Uh, Kendra, you're saying that, you know, the way they set up, have it set up is a problem. Jake, would you say that it's inattentiveness of officers or like what would you say? If you were uh, the sergeant of two officers who let this happen, what would you tell them? I, I would have had somebody, if, if we have two officers, which we often did, taking people to in-person court, we've also have uh, like the public entrance and then have the courtside entrance, um, which we've switched around. So we take them through the courtside now, um, even though I'm not there for in-person court anymore. I used to go like every week, multiple times a week. Um, so we've just reverse the or the way that they go through and there's still ways to get out i i the jail the way it was set up um there's a few different places where they're like one or two crash like one secure door and then there's a crash bar like they don't know how many times a day they're so close to freedom because it wasn't designed very well i would say that with these two uh deputies um it looked like they were both sheriff's deputies that were transporting them they were both standing away from like the entrance to the courtroom. So this guy's basically sitting at the desk and he can just run out of the courtroom without anybody being able to interdict him. So, uh, you know, he's like, I don't think it's a failure. I think it's, we need to change doing things. And it's like, yes, it, you know, when you have a, a murderer and you, they just took his restraints off, like they just returned from a break. And then he waits for them to kind of look away, get distracted and then bolts. And, you know, I would argue, yeah, somebody should have been hanging out closer to that vestibule. There should have been someone so that he wouldn't have had that opportunity. Um, but again, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's it's perfect. But um, that's the type of thing that we would do all the time. Sometimes I would get yelled at because of where I was standing in the courtroom because it, people would have a difficult time getting around me. And I'm like, that's the fucking point. <laughs> I don't want people to be able <laughs> to get around me. Um, I don't, and, and uh, that's interesting hearing Kendra's perspective on the, you know, what the bailiffs do, what their job is to protect the judge. I didn't know that. I did know they gave, you know, a lot of directions and things like that. In my case, we were actually, um, the judges would send emails and memos and stuff to our facility. And then they would tell us like how we're going to change things. And, uh, one thing that we didn't like doing was having people um, go to the jury room because it's completely closed off. So if you go into the jury room and this one has like a kitchen attached to it. So I don't know what's in those fucking drawers. Um, so I didn't like the idea of like attorneys and stuff meeting with their client in there. And if I was sitting there and I was present, like everything is, you know, I can't say anything about anything. It's fine. But if they wanted to meet with them separately, we had courtroom, you had to leave the courtroom, shackle them up and put them in these meeting rooms. 
And sometimes the lawyers didn't like that. So we had one lawyer, very, very big fish in a very, very tiny pond here. And uh, he's very infamous in the area as being kind of a blowhard asshole. <laughs> and he told me, we'd just been given this direction. This is where we're going to go now. And then, like I said, later on with contraband, they actually put uh, glass in the door so we could see better, um, see what's going on. We sit, seat the inmates very carefully so that we can maintain a visual and avoid hopefully a strip search. And uh, he didn't want, he's, he's like, I need to meet one of my client. I said, well, you can talk to him in here. There's nobody else in the courtroom or it's just the judge and us. It's a big courtroom or uh, I can take him out there. Well, we're just going to step in here. And I said, no, you're not going to step in there. Like he's your, he may be your client, but he's in my custody still. So I'm responsible. So your options are talk to him here or I will shackle him up and we'll go out there. So he proceeds to grab the inmate by the shoulder and try to walk him into this room where the judge had left very clear instructions that were not to use. So I told him no and put my hand up and prevented both of them from going into the jury room. And I said, I told you what your options are, so pick one. And he's and he tries to push me out of the way. So the judge was very close to uh, she was only a couple of weeks away from retirement. So I told him, I said, I've been very polite, but right now you need to fuck off. I said, I give, I've given you the directions. Uh, I've told you what your options are. I don't give a shit who you are. I'm following uh, the directions of our my facility and the frankly, the court. And also your client, because of the state law, um, has to be in restraints if he's out of my sight. That's that's the state law. So that's our state constitution. If you have a problem with that, I don't give a shit. Like, this is how it fucking goes. And the judge was laughing pretty hard at this point. She's trying not to laugh out loud. And uh, finally, he's like, fine, we'll go out here. And he's like, he's like, I'm going to talk to your boss. I'm like, please, from your lips to administration's ears, please tell them I'm doing my job and that I told you nicely twice. And then I told you to fuck off. Please tell them that. Like, as soon as we leave here, go, go to her office and please fucking tell her. Yeah. And <laughs> so they met, we go on with the court and stuff. And the judge, after we get done with the hearing, I'm about ready to take this person back. And the judge actually uh, asked me to approach the bench, which was kind of odd. <laughs> she's just, she's like, she's like, uh, what's your name? So I told her and she's like, I just wanted to say I've been on the bench for over 20 years. And she's like, that's one of the best fucking things I've seen. I've never, ever seen somebody tell that guy to fuck off. Thank you. That was a nice retirement present. <laughs> she's, like, I, she's like, I am also going to be going to uh, your boss and telling her that you did a fantastic job, that you tried to remain, you know, maintain the decorum and the, the rules of the court. And then you told him to fuck off, which was, which I appreciated, which was awesome. She's <laughs> like, thank you. Thank you for doing that. So that was kind of fun. Um, he, he did end up retiring too. Um, so I don't get to see him anymore. Miss that guy. Yeah, that's, <laughs> a, that's a hell of a story. A judge calling you up and you have, for me, what would be an oh shit moment. They're like, thank you for telling that guy to fuck off. You think you have an idea of what judges are like, you know, and uh, I guess uh, they're human beings too. And they also get sick of people and, Obviously, they have um, a certain amount of 
leeway on the decorum of the court, but I don't think a judge is allowed to tell a lawyer to, to fuck off. I think that would probably have <laughs> some kind of consequence or something. I don't know. I, maybe, I, I don't know if it's ever come up. Maybe it has. Uh, it's interesting. You know, we've talked about this guy being able to make his getaway. Restraints uh, are never foolproof. All restraints are designed to do is slow someone down. Obviously, if this guy had been wearing restraints, you would have been seeing him flexing or tampering or doing something with his handcuffs or leg irons or something. Leg irons would have certainly kept him from gaining enough speed to actually get away. I've always wanted to have someone try to run away from me in leg irons, and then I chomp my foot down on the chain between their legs and have them face plant, uh, particularly if they're still handcuffed and they can't protect their body. But So I did some, some checking on this. This is something I learned while I was in college, uh, but Anytime where a jury is present in, a, in, a, in proceeding in court, a defendant cannot be wearing uh, prison clothes. The reason for that is it's unduly prejudicial. It shows the, it shows the jury that he's uh, wearing a, a prison jumpsuit and, and handcuffs. Well, he must be guilty. That's kind of the, the argument that it puts that notion into a juror's uh, mind. And having spent some time on jury selection, I can tell you that jurors are generally pretty stupid and uh, a law or precedent like this that says we don't trust jurors to look at a defendant who's in jail clothes and not assume guilt just kind of shows you, number one, jurors are kind of dumb and the law is kind of aware of it. I was doing some background checking. There's tons of cases on this uh, that uh, even recently, Estelle v. Williams going back to United States versus Sanchez Gomez Hernandez v. Beto. But the earliest case I found before I got tired of checking was Brooks v. Texas. And what Brooks v. Texas holds is that uh, the defendant in that case, Brooks, was brought to his trial handcuffed in his jail uniform. The testimony is in conflict as to whether or not the handcuffs were removed before he entered the courtroom, the room. But there's no dispute that he was dressed in his jail uniform throughout the trial. The record of his trial shows no objection registered by his court-appointed counsel, which now if he's wearing jail clothes and the, his attorney doesn't, uh, object to that. That's grounds for uh, a, an appeal just because of ineffective counsel plus the jail uniform. Uh, so this was his uh, his test his testimony at his federal habeas hearing. Question: Were you handcuffed? Answer: Yes, sir. And in the jail form: Yes, sir. Did your counsel make any any objection? He made some objection, but I don't remember what it was. Do you remember what it was? He turned to the bailiff and asked him what I was was doing dressed as I was. What did the bailiff say? I didn't hear the rest of it. And you spent the rest of the trial in jail uniform? Yes. So his whole his whole case, going back to 1967, is uh, that it proves that it's inherently unfair to try to defend a defendant for a crime while garbed in the jail uniform, especially when his civilian clothing is at hand. Uh, I'm reading this all straight from the case. So we have longstanding uh, judicial precedent that once someone goes to court, they can't be uh, they can't be wearing oranges or stripes or restraints if there's a jury there because it, it tricks the jury into thinking that they're guilty. So what that's the reason a, for that. What about a striped tie? I don't know. I it's funny because uh, <laughs> you watch some movies where like runaway jury and like uh, and it's a, a stupid book and a stupid movie because they end up holding a gun manufacturer responsible for a school shooting or something. But um, they talk about like the psychology of all of that stuff about how lawyers need to be dressed and how defendants need to be dressed. And actually, you know, it, it kind of plays into it because when I was in jury selection, I was looking at the guy and I saw him in a suit. And I'm like, I thought the suit make them, made him look guilty because he just didn't, the suit didn't look like it fit him. Like you could tell that they got it specifically <laughs> for this. 
Right. It never uh, does. That, that, that he that he had never dressed up before. He just had this general appearance. Like I saw him as an inmate through the suit. And I don't know if that's just because of my experience, but it just uh, it wasn't a good look for him. So, and he he but he ended up getting acquitted, and I think he did kill that guy. So. <laughs> That yeah, I think, a the, lot. I think the most well, common attire is like the Dickies pants with like the button up shirt and no tie. That's what I see I think, the most often. I think that's better because mm -hmm. I think that's how most people dress. Kendra. I said that happened a lot and that's not true. It didn't happen a lot. The people getting off, like if you sit through a trial and then the jury finds him not guilty and in your head, you're like, what? How did you find him not guilty? That's crazy. But did you did you ever have that as a as a, a officer a bailiff where the the judgment is read and they're like you know not guilty on all charges and you and you like idiots he he obviously did it did you ever just yeah. say that out loud not out loud no oh. <laughs> to myself yeah on a on a well. murder trial yeah that it was quite the um, was shock. that frustrating Even was that. Was that frustrating for you as a police officer when you know everything that goes into a case? And then every, we've talked about this before, everything that a prosecutor needs to go to trial. And, you know, the implication being that the, the, the prosecutor obviously thinks they can win and then they get to the end and then it's just not guilty. Was that frustrating for you to kind of see the end, the end of everything that happens that starts with a 911 call? Police officer goes on scene and the very end is, you know, them, them reading off the verdict. Was that frustrating for you? Yeah, it's really frustrating. I mean, it's, that only happened once or twice. Um, it's more like, to me, sitting through a trial and, and hearing the, the facts and the evidence and everything, and then being like, oh, this guy's going away. And then it comes back with a not guilty. You kind of like, there is a moment where you're like, what the fuck? To the jury. Like, how did you listen to the same thing I did and come to that conclusion? That's insane. But um, like you said, jury of your peers are just they're just people everyday lay people that don't know anything about the um they get their little speech at jury selection on and the opening arguments about like you're not supposed to take this this and this into account you're only supposed to um consider what you hear in the courtroom and all that but i don't know if that's i feel like that's really difficult for someone who isn't well versed in how to actually do that to hear evidence and facts and pick them apart um, in such a like cold, logical way that they want them to. It's more frustrating, in my opinion, when uh, people get plea deals that are like way below what they should be um, receiving. And that, that was very disheartening for me to watch a lot. Like um, one case in particular, a guy was um it was some sort of hearing for um, a case where he gave his five-year-old daughter gonorrhea and he got somehow managed to get five years probation with um sex offender status and he was not and he was out on bond like he came to jail or to court on his own and that that was seeing that is far more frustrating in my opinion but <laughs> It is, yeah. you know, you put all that work into it and then that's the result. Yeah. It's difficult because, of course, we cherish our own liberties, but we we get really vexed when we see uh, terrible people, you know, utilizing theirs. It's not fair. 
something that uh, I mentioned Runaway Jury. That was a movie that came out when I was in college and we were encouraged to see it because uh, my professor, who at the time, I thought I, I thought at the time I couldn't tell what her politics were. But now I remember the movies she had us watch in college, which is, by the way, if you're going to a college where they're having you watch a lot of movies, you should quit that college. <laughs> But they had she had us watch uh, a time to kill, which was fucking ridiculous because that was a movie where uh, <clears throat> the guy got off of murdering his daughter's rapist because uh, you know his he his anger at, at the guy murder uh, raping his daughter was justified, and it's just like I thought I thought we actually had a system of laws here, so like we saw that. Crash was a movie that was really big at that time, which was just a ridiculous movie that portrayed police officers as ridiculously terrible. Um, what was another movie? Um, 12 Angry Men, uh, which is a classic movie in play, I think. But what happens in 12 Angry Men is that uh, you have a jury, and it's all men. <laughs> you know, this is back in the day. And uh, the, everyone, everyone feels like it's a sure, surefire case and they should convict. And there's one holdout and he goes, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure. And everyone's mad at him because it's hot. They all want to go home. They don't want to be there all night. So there's all kinds of social pressure on for him to say like, oh, yeah, he's guilty. Like he's putting he's being put under all this peer pressure to just convict the guy, but he won't do it. And one by one by one throughout the course of the play in the movie, this lone holdout juror convinces everyone else in the jury room that they don't know what happened. And it's supposed to be like this case of like, well, you know, you have you have one person who has a conscience who just can't he has reasonable doubt and he he's able to he's able to convince uh, even the most uh, hardened uh, person in that juror room of what the truth is. And but I, I view it completely differently. I'm like, so you have all this moral equivocation. And when you get to the end, you're just like, well, no one really knows anything. And, and it's just like, well, how can we even have a system of justice when I guess none of us really knows anything? Um, the thing is, the, the burden is, is beyond a reasonable doubt. It's not beyond all doubt. Of course, you can always have a sliver of doubt on any almost any case saying there's a chance it didn't do it. But that's not the standard. It's reasonable doubt. And so I, I fucking hated that movie. I hated the movie Crash. I hated all the, the movies that I was required to watch. In my intro to criminal justice class, it made no sense. Why the fuck are we watching movies? <laughs> um, but uh, unfortunately, my professor got the last laugh. I graduated in 2007. And uh, hard times came for my life. Hard times came for old John. And I was delivering food dudes in 2018. And they had to bring Indian food to my professor's house. And she lived in a, she lived in a very nice house. And I was obviously <laughs> 11 years out of college delivering food to her house so probably one of the most humiliating moments of my life i don't deliver food <laughs> anymore uh but i also can't afford for food to be delivered to me so just call it even jake did you die are you gone no i'm still here oh. um, he, he just lovingly listens to my stories he doesn't try to interrupt <laughs> like me so i can never tell if he's there was it like uh most of or at least two of those were john grisham right I'm surprised she didn't have you like a time to kill. Watch the firm. Yeah. The firm (laughs) or some of those other ones. So then, you know, not to cheat on your wife on the beach because they're videotaping you. Um, The beach is videotaped. Yes. Yeah. No. Well, and it's interesting. It's so they've taken, uh, we aren't allowed to have, um, they are in pre-adjudication inmates are in their, you know, 
regular Department of Corrections clothing. And we do take the restraints off while they're in the courtroom. Um, but they've actually gone even further. But for trial, they do change out into clothes. Usually the facility a lot of times ends up buying them because they don't have family members that will bring stuff like that in, which is an interesting use of our tax dollars. Um, but actually they had at one point someone who was on trial for murder who had extensive face tattoos looked like he fell asleep at his desk and it just transferred onto his face and uh they actually had someone come in and apply makeup to his face to cover all his face tattoos so that the jury wouldn't be uh prejudiced against him and he shot someone uh several times in the back who was on all fours and uh well two the first couple shots, he was on his knees and then on all fours, and he got off with uh, self-defense. My gosh. Oh, hmm. Frustrating. Makes me mad. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just angering because um, we could do all this great investigations, Kendra, as a police officer and doing all, everything right and prosecutors. And it still comes down to the whims of these uh, 12 stupid men. You know, it's just... I, again, I don't have a, a better system, but it's just amazing sometimes the, the stuff you see in a, in a courtroom and juries fall for it. And that's why you should never take a plea, I guess. There's always a chance to just walk out of the courthouse. It's uh, very infuriating. <laughs> There's lots of people in prison who had weird tattoos. I, I remember it was helpful to me because a lot of times these guys would have their last name tattooed in like old English script along their back. And I'm like, well, I for sure know who you are. So that's good. Uh, you know, particularly <laughs> fights in the shower room. I, I was able to say clearly who was involved because of their tattoos and their markings. Uh, probably one of my favorite face tattoo stories, though, was this guy was not locking up. I'm standing on the tier trying to get him to go in a cell. Give him a couple directives. He's not going in there. So I can already write him up, but I'm going to be doing write-ups all day if, like, that's my standard for doing a write-up. I finally get him in and finally close the door. And uh, the door has his name on it. So he's gone to his correct cell. His name is McLaughlin or something. I don't remember what his name is. It starts with M, though. He has an M on his face. And he goes, okay, so your name's McLaughlin. I'll remember that for your write-up. You know, I'm, I'm applying. I'm going to write him up. He goes, well, what do you think M stood for? I'm like, McDonald's? Because it's the only place you can get a job with a face tattoo? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, see, and that... <laughs> <laughs> And that's funny because uh, <laughs> we had someone who had a face tattoo right under his eye. He had his full last name on his cheek, just under his eye. And he came in the one time and uh, he actually had a concealing ID charge. I was like, fucking really? Like he tried oh to conceal God. his ID. He had his last name on his face and he tried <laughs> to conceal his id from the police that he didn't have an active warrant so that was pretty honestly funny. and he worked at sonic if your face is your face and you have your name on your face you're a walking identification i mean at that point you don't even need a right. driver's license i mean you could just apply for what i guess but like you're good to go in terms of identification your, your maybe that's why they call it face. maybe that's why they call it concealer very good that's <laughs> terrible <laughs> Right. No, it, it works it works and yeah right. my favorite was the, with the guys where their parents are busted up so they have both their last names on their arms you know like and i've seen i've no no shit i've seen some people that have like four hyphenated last names it's like is that because you don't know who your father was could be one of these four 
like Mamma Mia Prison Edition. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody have any closing uh, thoughts on this guy in Oregon that uh, ran out during during his trial? Wasn't going so good. Decided to make a break for it and hid in this hotel complex and retroactively scared this lady. I still don't like. I mean, I, it still kind of blows my mind that uh, someone could run out of a all the way out of a courthouse. Because you have to pass by so many, like, we had, we've had people try to, they weren't in custody, but they act up in the courtroom and the judge wants them for contempt and they run out of the room. And the courthouse I worked in was not very big, um, but they had, like, we always had door security and you just radio down and say, hey, this guy in this outfit is coming down, grab him. So yeah. I don't know I, I don't know how that happens. Also like Jake like you were saying, um if you have someone who's on trial for something as serious as murder and they're unsecured uh you have someone standing behind them, you have someone standing at the door, you have someone standing at like the partition between like where the judge's bench is and the spectator you know, the benches. I, I, would, I, I don't get it. I, would, I don't know. I would I would fill the courtroom up with plain clothes people, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, is what I would do. Like if they if you know he can't have a uniform or, or shackles on because it's unduly prejudicial and you don't want to prejudice the jury because he's surrounded by, you know, 10 correctional officers, 10, you know, being probably a little excessive, but put some plain clothes guy in there. Put plain clothes guys in there that he doesn't even know are plain clothes guys. Mm-hmm. So that you know right. if he well, starts to act up, like he air thinks yeah, exactly. But you could, you could always you can always tell who the plain clothes guy is though, because he's either wearing like the five eleven pants and like the polo shirt that's tucked in, or he has like we had this for the one trial for a, a murder trial. The uh, guy that was doing the um, security there, we had a uh, I think it was a sheriff's deputy. He had like they didn't have discreet body armor to put underneath his shirt. So he looked like a fucking Ninja Turtle because he had like the full <laughs> thing on under his under everything. And yeah, he looked like he was about ready to go out there on the gridiron iron and, you know, lob some uh, pig skin or something <laughs> like it was it was pretty comical. But uh, um, uh, I've told this story before, but the first time we uh, started wearing body armor, uh, I went from an agency that was very old school and we suddenly had to go very new school because one of our officers got killed. And so we only had one, uh, one uh, bulletproof vest or whatever you would, ballistics vest. We only had one. And uh, it was for a shorter person than I am. And I put it on and put it on outside of my uniform. And it looked like a bra on me because it was so small. <laughs> Inmates were making fun of me and laughing. It wasn't fun. I bet they were. Well, you shouldn't wear that to the inmates' gym. That's That's probably that in my my capri uniform pants you know i had i had a bad run when it came to uh to, to uniform kendra have you did you ever hear that story where i was uh we had uh, two guys in a cell and they they both cut themselves up pretty bad and the whole cell had blood all over it ceiling walls it was like sticky on the floor it got all over me because i had to go in there and haul them out and take pictures and all kinds of stuff got blood all over me and I, you know, I had to, I didn't want bl- blood. I, so I was able to wash off my boots in the janitorial sink, but I had blood all over my pants. So I had to go up to uh, the academy where we keep our spare uniforms and I had to grab a pair of uniform pants 
and all they had was uh like regular size person pants in my waist size and so they only they came up to above my boots my 18 inch boots <laughs> or whatever so like they're basically ladies capris you know three-quarter length uh, pants and i begged the sergeant will you please put me in the perimeter car the rest of the shift i do not want to have to wear capri pants for the rest of my shift out here so between my my stint wearing capri pants as a correctional officer and the day i had to wear a bra as a sergeant it was uh we had some fashion faux pas in my in my department. That's amazing. So yeah, I went, right. But I don't think uh, you were forced to like. Where you weren't forced to like untuck your shirt and tie that knot above your belly. No, button. I I did that just because that was, I thought it was, was cute. Style choice. <laughs> yeah. I did it with. I put it in the scrunchie and put it off to the side. Actually, yeah. Um, gosh. Like in longest yard. Weird. Yes, exactly. You know. Yes, exactly. Uh, with the mop head hair yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah uh someone was mentioning something to me the other day we were watching a show about uh cops and when they do their fto phase how there's a, a part of the fto phase where the officers training them where it's plain clothes kendra did you go through that where your fto was in plain clothes yeah it's called they call it the ghost phase the ghost phase uh Ooh. i was explaining to this person that i was uh i was an fto i'm like did you know i was an fto at my prison and she goes Oh yeah, did did you wear the prison uniform the day you were the day you were doing the ghost phase of FTO? Like, no. We don't, we don't have the we don't have the ghost phase in prison. We don't have a day where we either wear plain clothes or dress like a like an inmate. <laughs> uh yeah, that's the kind of thing that would end disastrously. All right. If there's no further comments on this uh, rather humorous uh failed escape from Oregon. Uh, this guy's kind of a, a jabroni, in my opinion, because we've had so many good escapes, like the four that escaped from Bibb County. Jake, are they still at large? Do you know? I believe so. I haven't heard any updates on it. Jennifer, I'm sure Abby will text me. Yeah, Jennifer's still <laughs> out there. And, uh, of course, we had that guy on the run, that Eagles fan, who was uh, he was able to stay on the run for a while. This guy, this guy broke out of a courthouse, which is good, but then he just went to a nearby apartment complex, broke into an empty room, hid under a blanket, and scared the shit out of that lady, so... <laughs> not that not that good like like you get a b plus but you know the the best part of an escape and the part we're going to judge you the most by is your ability to uh, stay at large so unfortunately dude that affects your score we'll yeah, go ahead my, and close it out similar things <laughs> your, your dog has we'll go ahead and close it out because yeah. it's been a marathon day for podcasting i know uh the three of us are tired we all need a nap uh if you enjoyed this you can get more uh failure stop on Patreon, uh, we are simulcasting today on Facebook to two people live, possibly Melanie. I think I saw <laughs> Will. I don't know. Uh, we're doing this. It's like Saturday at like 2.30 in the afternoon, so everyone's out living their lives. It's not a great time to do this, but we also didn't really want to play to a big audience because we want you to support Hard Time and other Failure to Stop bonus content on Patreon. Totally worth it, in my opinion. Jake is hilarious. Uh, the only way you get to, to hear him is by being a subscriber to Patreon, so we encourage you to do that. Kendra and I will return on Tuesday for True Crime. Other than that, uh, I guess, Jake, it's uh, his tradition that he takes us out with a joke. But in my opinion, he's been kind of doing it all day. Jake, did you have a joke <laughs> you wanted to end the show on? I, I Yes, I have been trying, trying my best to show off for uh, Facebook as usual. But uh, this guy was an accused killer. And uh, I just want to go on the record saying um, that I've been looking for my ex's killer for years. But uh, nobody will do it, sadly. So, <laughs> oh, love. <laughs> That's the biggest joke. All right. <laughs> 
All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. If you did, there's a few people watching. Otherwise, uh, we'll, we'll catch you next week.